Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. This is High Tea with Grace, where we spill the tea on HIT. I'm stoked to introduce you to Rebecca Quill and Carrie Nixon. They are digital health lawyer extraordinaires. Thanks for joining us today, ladies. Thanks so much for having us. So excited, Grace. So tell me both about the journey that brought you to your position today. Uh, Rebecca, let's have you start and then Carrie, have you share your story. Yeah, this is actually a story that we tell often together, and sometimes we sort of take each other's part in the story, but um, I'll tell a little bit of it. Um, My background is uh, uh, as a person with a passion for healthcare access, healthcare reform, um, you know, uh, helping people live longer and healthier healthier lives. I started uh, out my career in policy, as did Carrie. Um, working for the Obama administration on the implementation of the Affordable Care Act. And I really got hooked on the intersection of policy and sort of the leading edge of where healthcare was going and uh, technology. Um, One of the large projects that I worked uh, on in the administration was a very large technology implementation to do eligibility for uh, Medicaid and the new exchanges. Um, And I sort of learned to be a translator between tech folks and policy folks. And I went to a tech company after that uh, to head their national healthcare policy team. And yeah, I had the bug. I, I um, After that, I'll let Carrie tell the rest. But after that, I had a sort of a vision for what I wanted to do. And I'm very, very blessed to be able to say what, that um, that with Carrie, I made it happen. Um, I, my first exposure to healthcare was actually uh, in my first job out of college when I worked on Capitol Hill. Um, I ended up um, in the position of assistant policy director for the House Democratic Caucus. And I got Crazily, I got put in charge of one of their healthcare, um, their, their, one of their task forces focused on healthcare. And at that time, and this will date me, the um, Children's Health Insurance uh, Program was winding its way through Congress. And I thought, gosh, this is really interesting. Um, I then went to law school as had sort of been the plan after you know getting a couple of years on the Hill under my belt. And when I graduated from law school, um, I took a job in a large law firm in Washington, D.C. in their health law practice because, you know, I thought this is a really good um, area to be in. And that's kind of where I got my chops in healthcare law um, in general. Um, we served, you know, clients that were sort of large, um, tended to be like larger institutional clients. Um, so it's a little bit different than, than what we do um, right now. Um, but 
you know, after a number of years um, at the large law firm, I decided to take on my first entrepreneurial endeavor um, and become the first full-time person at a nonprofit that my husband and I had been uh, involved with starting that, again, had a policy focus. And then fast forward a few years of getting that policy, that that uh, nonprofit up and running um, and standing on its own two feet, I decided it was time to get back to the practice of law. And that was in 2010. It was when the Affordable Care Act had passed. And I thought, gosh, there are going to be some really interesting opportunities here for players who hadn't necessarily been involved in the space before uh, to, to move the needle on outcomes and um, you know cost reductions that burden our system so much. And so I decided to actually start my own practice uh, and did that, um, you know, sort of built up a, a, a core clientele eventually over, you know, a number of years. And, um, you know, it was just me initially, but I didn't, I, I sort of had a bigger vision and didn't want to necessarily do this on my own. And was very fortunate to find Rebecca um, through a random connection, which is wonderful how that happens at times. And we started working together for a couple of years and I, I decided this is the person that I want to build this firm with. And she and I kind of realized in 2016 that the clients that we liked working with the most were the innovators in the space. And so, you know, the digital health companies, the health IT companies, the medical device companies, the providers that were kind of doing new and innovative business models. And so we decided to, you know, not just focus, not really just focus on health law, but to focus on healthcare innovation in our law firm. And, um, that, tend, that was that turned out to be a very fortuitous decision um, back in 2016, and um, you know there has been a lot of desire for healthcare innovation and need for healthcare innovation, and we have um, we have grown as a firm quite a bit. Um, we have a national presence at this point um, with attorneys you know all around the country and um, serving clients all around the country and internationally. So that was a very long-winded introduction, but um, I think it kind of sets the stage for how we got to where we are. It really does. I mean, why do just any law when you could do law that saves lives? Carrie, I would love for you to show our audience your superhero photo of you and Rebecca. If you could just bring that up to the screen. It's just too fantastic. Yeah, this this is it, if you can see it. It is um, a colleague of ours uh, gave this to us and had it done, um, you know, just with sort of he our headshots. Um, and, you know, we, this is sort of our, us as the dynamic duo, right? Um, and, you know, Rebecca found these amazing shoes that we should have, we actually should have brought in to show you um, that have, that have BAM and POW in them. They're these great sparkly shoes that she and I sometimes wear together when we're at conferences. That is just too fantastic. So you guys aren't just healthcare attorneys, you're healthcare innovation attorneys. Tell us a little bit about what makes the firm you built a bit different than others out there. Yeah, we've had to learn this over time because, um, you know, I came to uh, founding this law firm from sort of policy and government world. And um, unlike Carrie had not worked in a big law atmosphere. And, and I think uh, that gave me a unique perspective. I, I you know, Carrie and I were able to build a firm based on what we thought it should be um, and not just sort of what we had seen modeled in the past. And um, what I have learned over time is that there is absolutely a place for very, very smart, qualified healthcare lawyers to do the sort of traditional healthcare work. And we have lots of colleagues in those spaces and we respect them immensely. 
Um, what we decided, you know, really because it was the most fun uh, of all the sort of general legal work that we were doing was um, that technology and data and harnessing technology and data to give insights that we've never had before, identify issues that have never been named before, reach populations that haven't been reachable because we haven't been able to see them before. That was really what's gonna change things. And, um, and, and frankly, healthcare lawyers do not get technology training. And so um, Carrie and I, in the very beginning of our, our partnership, learned it, taught us, taught ourselves the intersection of the law and software and hardware technology and um, uh, you know healthcare data and data analytics. And we were very lucky to have some early clients that trusted us to sort of learn alongside them. Um, but, but, but I would say one thing, and I'll let Carrie answer too, one thing that sets us apart uh, is the, that intersection of, of expertise is um, really understanding like the substantive legal issues that come up in that space, which are not encapsulated within sort of traditional healthcare law. And I'll add one more before I turn it over. And that is that Carrie and I are both pretty entrepreneurial in nature. And we've built our firm and culture and training based on really understanding and getting passionate about the process of building a company. Um, so that we can really right alongside the entrepreneurs that we serve, grab their shared vision and drive toward it with, with the skills that we have alongside them and the skills that they have. I'll turn it over to Carrie. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, we, um, we have, you know, in addition to sort of serving innovators, we are innovators in the legal services space ourselves. We, um, we tend not to work by the billable hour, which is sort of, you know, what a lot of people hate about attorneys. We have come up with um, alternative arrangements for working with clients that we think are much better um, than the billable hour at actually aligning incentives. Um, and, you know, we have created a work environment for our firm um, with a core value of belief that um, our lives outside of the law firm make us better attorneys overall. Um, and so, so that's, that's sort of another, I think, distinguishing characteristic. Um, in terms of sort of the clientele that we serve, you know, I mentioned um, at my large, and during my large law firm days, serving some large institutional clients, um, health systems, payers, um, large, large provider groups tend to be very bureaucratic. They tend to therefore move very slowly. And for good reason, they tend to be very risk averse. That is a very different client profile than, than, the, than healthcare innovators. Um, innovators in the space are moving fast. They, um, they are seizing opportunities as they come along. We saw this during COVID where a number of our clients pivoted very, very quickly to, um, to, to you know, act in the this the COVID space in a way that could be helpful overall and frankly they um are more comfortable in gray areas sort mm -hmm. of in the legal mm -hmm. and regulatory front right so uh they may be well, you know whereas a large institutional client may be very very risk averse and, and not willing to accept any risk Innovators may look at the gray area and say, hey, this is an opportunity for us to innovate within that gray area. That's where the innovation happens. So our job is to 
inform them of the the degree of risk, right? That that is involved, and some innovators are are um, very very willing to say. Yeah, we're, we don't want to cross the line. We don't want to do anything that's wrong. But where we can make an argument in a gray area, we're going to take that opportunity because we believe that, um, you know, innovation, we, well, what we know is that policy and regulations lag behind innovations in the healthcare space. You know, a technology innovation comes out, uh, it's something that the policy and the regs have never considered. And by the time they catch up, the, the, the technology has leapfrogged again. So uh, innovators understand that. I would love to dive more into that. You know, the role of policy and law, you know, what what is that role um, of policy and law in really promoting or stifling innovation in the health tech space? Like, can you kind of dive more into that? Go ahead, Gray. Yeah, so, um, so it's a great question. Um, the law and policy can certainly stifle innovation, right? It, 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 uh, and and be, that is because, as I just mentioned, it tends to lag behind technology. Mm -hmm. In some instances, though, there is sort of a, um, you know, especially if something is a legislative action, right? It is, an, it is put into place with an act of Congress. Congressional inaction you know, causes um, sort of a stalemate and a lack of innovation. A great example of this is what we saw happen during the pandemic, where telehealth was not widely available to the public during a public health emergency, much less otherwise, right? Physician practices and health systems were not ready to pull the trigger on going to a virtual care telehealth model when they had to, when it was dangerous for people to be coming into an office setting live. And that was because back in, I think it was 1997, Congress passed a law saying that uh, telehealth for Medicare beneficiaries and Medicare, as you know, is like the largest payer, you know, in the country, mm -hmm. telehealth could only happen when a patient was at what's called an originating site, meaning they had to go to a clinic and then they had to uh, have telehealth technology, audio video technology at that clinic that could connect them with a specialist in the big city, right? At that point, telehealth technology was only really viewed as useful for helping people in rural areas that may not have access to specialists get specialists. Okay, great, in 1997, fine, right? That law did not change until actually, <laughs> you know, like a week or so ago, right? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Right? wow. So, so no change to that law. So we had the public health emergency and Medicare is the biggest payer, uh, you know, leads the way. Also the, most, also the most vulnerable patient population. Most vulnerable patient population. Medicare leads the way in, in doing things. And, and because Medicare wasn't paying for telehealth visits, you know, uh, uh, physician offices and health systems weren't providing it. And so this put us at a real disadvantage um, during the public health emergency. I'll just, I'll stop there, but I think it's a pretty good example of the way um, 
uh, you know, legislation or a regulatory construct can stifle innovation. You know, we the technology for telehealth is nowhere where, near where it was in 1997. It was easy for people to use their phones, right, to be able to do a telehealth visit, which didn't even exist in 1997. So um, that's one example. Yeah, and I will say, I think Carrie, in my background, her working um, in Congress and me working from inside of um, CMS, uh, inside of a government agency, has given us real insight into, into why sometimes policies don't move forward and what that means for industry. So, you know, uh, I, I firmly believe, in, and when I was in the government, I uh, was very passionate about making care better for the people of this country, um, you know, giving more access, providing more opportunities. But um, I, would, I would call out two things. There, there, there are more, but two things that I think um, hold us back, even if we're even if we're really committed to it. Um, one is the government is a massive bureaucracy, and so moving things takes time. Um, you know, I think everybody knows. You know what the issues are we're having in Congress. That's that's um, quite political. But even once it gets through Congress, then the agencies have to implement it. It's it's an enormous shift to turn. Um, lots of different opinions, lots of different people. The second is that technology is moving at lightning speed, and there's just not subject matter expertise within the agencies that are moving as quickly as the technology is. And so where um, where Carrie and I sit, um, you know, we are definitely not lobbyists, but we are on the ground serving hundreds of these innovators. We are learning about these technologies, and we can see very clearly why and how the policies that sometimes come out of the agencies may be counterproductive to their own goals. And so we're able to bring them that knowledge. Um, and um, and it is, it is uh, uh, several times in our short history, um, just commentary and consultation with industry groups by our law firm has changed policy at the federal level just through education, not through advocacy, nothing like that, just through explaining how the goal that the agency has is better served by describing something different or creating a, you know, creating a different policy. Um, and so I would encourage, all, you know, all of you out there in, in digital health, health tech to think through when, when a policy doesn't make sense or a reimbursement rule doesn't make sense, the fact that it's possible that just educating the agencies that are, that are paying you and regulating you can, can move the needle because they want to be effective, but they're not living in Silicon Valley and in Austin and Miami, and they're not watching this day to day. Um, so anyway, so that's my, my two cents. You really sit in the middle of many of these innovations happening in the space. Um, what are some examples of leading innovations that you're starting to see more and more of? And what are some of the legal issues that you're starting to deal with now that you're working with some of these additional innovations? Uh, so many. It's a really exciting time. Yeah, I mean, we can sort of rattle off some. Um, uh, one of the things that I'm particularly interested in and I've written a little bit about over the last year is what healthcare is going to look like in the metaverse. Um, and I could talk for many hours about that, but I, but I, but I won't. But there are very cool um, innovations happening in the virtual care, um, augmented reality, um, extended reality space that are that are that I'm starting to see as solutions. Um, one of our attorneys, Caitlin O'Connor, uh, has made this a particular focus for this year, and um, has been uh, lucky enough to meet a number of these companies. I think that's going to be. I think the paradigm for how we 
receive and experience healthcare, which is the which is actually the theme of, of, of our podcast. Um, but the, the the paradigm of how we receive and experience healthcare in a more virtual world is so much broader and com more complex than just a face to face video visit. Um, so that's one one area that I'm that I'm pretty excited about. Yeah, and I would say another is um, the shift to care at home. Um, having patients um, experience a more continuous and high touch from their providers, uh, particularly those that have chronic diseases, right? So uh, the advent of remote monitoring um, and reimbursement for remote monitoring means that uh, people with hypertension can um, monitor their blood pressure with a Bluetooth blood pressure cuff, have uh, someone at their on the end of the other end of their provider be kind of monitoring that data, their blood pressure readings uh, on a frequent basis. And that provider can reach out and say, hey, you know what? You've had a pretty high reading for the last three days call on the phone what you know tell me what's going on are you out of your medication are you having a particularly stressful period of time and that high touch really um, makes a difference in improving patient outcomes right it it eliminates it can it can potentially eliminate the need to go in for an office visit it can certainly eliminate the need to go into the emergency room, right, or the ER and be admitted to the hospital. And um, by the way, that aggregation of data is very valuable in and of itself, right? Like what, you know, what does this data for this whole patient population of hypertensive patients show us in general and how can we use that data to build algorithms that are going to help you know predict different outcomes that are going to help us improve patient lives further so you both have mentioned to me that you're seeing much more of a global healthcare innovation ecosystem how are you seeing this manifest in the u.s healthcare market yeah, this has been pretty exciting, and and it's and it's also uh, really being embraced by the industry. I think there was, you know, after after COVID, I think there was a, a global acknowledgement that we we're sort of all in this together, and we need to be a little bit more coordinated. And that has sparked some partnerships and um, sort of visionary uh, initiatives um, to to really connect to the international community. Um, what's very cool is that there's a ton of innovation happening in Asia, in Europe, in India. Um, lots of, you know, they're building digital health tools too. They're, they're building devices as well. They've got different patient populations, but similar problems and, um, or challenges rather. And, um, you know, they're starting to talk with each other across the, across the globe about what it's like to sort of build businesses. So, so we've watched our clients um, move from the U.S. into other countries to expand their brands. Um, but more than that, we're starting to see international companies want to enter into the U.S. market. Mm -hmm. um, I have seen more of that over the last two years than I had experienced prior to that. We've served a number of clients that have come from um, Europe uh, and um, even as far as uh, Australia, who are quite interested in certainly the, the massive patient population that we have. Um, they're, they're interested in a patient population that is willing to pay out of pocket for healthcare, which is not the case in other um, uh, countries where socialized medicine covers more um, than it does in this country. 
and um, and they're coming over for the the um, reimbursement opportunities um, that 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 you know we have in this country. What we have found is that it's often a rude awakening, and so one of the things that we're doing this year is uh, we're getting much better uh, at education for international companies that want to establish themselves in the U.S., helping them understand not just the sort of the nuts and bolts of the corporate uh, corporate laws in this country, but what does our healthcare system look like? Who's buying healthcare? What what um, what does it mean to have a federal system and a state system? Um, all of these things, there are lots of sort of um, assumptions and expectations about what it'd be like to do business in this country um, that we have noticed that we've had to learn and unteach. And uh, but so it's exciting for us. But um, I think we're going to probably see more of that in, in years to come. What do you think, Carrie? Yeah, just briefly, um, <clears throat> an area in particular that I think we may see more of this is in um, the medical device and software as a medical device. Um, mm, I could imagine because it's really exploded overseas. And it is also the case that there's a lot of venture capital in the U.S. And many of those firms require that your IP is housed in the U.S. before they'll invest. Um, so there's a lot of reasons for companies to come here. And um, I'm here for it. I'm excited. Yes, it's very exciting. I mean, it's really the whole world coming together to help improve outcomes and, and care experiences for all. It's really fantastic. So I'd love to dive in now to your personal lives. Women leaders of this fantastic digital health innovation firm, what are some things that you do every day to help you work your best and make a difference? I'll say I have a, I have a daily gratitude practice, which I've been doing ever since um, I watched Oprah on Super Soul Sunday in 2000 and, oh my God, 2008. And she said something like that. And she said, this will change your brain. Um, your brain will change when you remind yourself every day what you're grateful for. Um, and it's absolutely my secret. Um, so we do that. Um, you know, we have just nuts and bolts. We have We have a lot of tools, technology tools that help us on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and I'll say we have an incredible, incredible team that is um, values aligned, that um, really enjoys collaborating and working with each other, that raises their hand when someone needs help. Um, and I'm including Carrie in that. I absolutely could not do this alone. Yeah, agree 100%. Um, uh, we, my family does a, a, a grateful for us at dinner time as well. And so, um, you know, um, especially when things get tough, um, where, you know, and I'll say like it, we've had, we had just a really, um, intense year in terms of growing and scaling the firm, right. Um, uh, going from like a smaller firm to now, you know, sort of a, a medium sized firm that, um, that needs to have different sort of processes and, and in place. Um, but that gratitude practice is particularly useful when you're sort of in the throes of, Oh my God, like there's so much to do and so little time and how do we do it all? Um, th that has been, that has been really important. And, and then I will also say that I know for both of us, um, you know, having spouses that are very supportive, um, Absolutely. Uh, us and, um, you know, share responsibilities with our, with us and our families, um, has, has been really important as well. That's right. Shout out to Justin and Dimitri. We also could not do this without you. 
Um, and I'll just I'll just um, harken back to what Carrie said in the beginning, which is, you know, we really do believe that we are better people and lawyers when our lives are not just work. And so one of the other reasons that that um, we're able to handle what we can handle is we constructed a firm that doesn't require that people work seven days a week. Um, and, uh, you know, our people have their nights and they have their weekends. And, you know, sometimes we have to sometimes we have to put in the work, but um, we are able to recharge. And I think um, that's been really, really important uh, to really unplug. I've got three children <laughs> and, um, you know, I want to be with them and I want to see them grow up and I want to go to practices. And that is what recharges me. Um, and I'm grateful to have had the autonomy and the partnership to build a company that allows me to do that and, and that we can give that to the people that work for us as well. Yeah, for example, you know, we we close, we generally close the firm between uh, Christmas and New Year's, right? The, the week between Christmas and New Year's. Um, that's not always sort of the most popular thing to do for, for our clients, but I, but I think they respect it. And our team really appreciates the opportunity to be with their family, to rest, to recharge, and to get a good start on the, on the new year. I just love that. You know, I, you've said a lot of this, actually, what my next question is going to be already in your answers. But do you have a leadership quote or concept that really impacts the way you lead? And if so, you know, what is that? Yeah, I think we hearken to our core values, which Rebecca and I have, um, you know, made a point of articulating when we join together in this partnership, and which are our guideposts um, for um, for the way that we conduct the firm, and, and I don't think have really changed at all, at all over the years that we've been working together. Um, you know, one of the most important ones is do the right thing always. Um, that that is probably the number one uh, guidepost that we what we all try to live by. Another one is to innovate and evolve constantly, um, both as individuals, um, as a company, um, as a firm, alongside our clients. Um, and uh, another is, which I think does sort of set us apart from some other law firms, is wear your lawyer's hat but walk in your client's shoes. Um, think like a lawyer, but understand what your client is really trying trying to go for, um, and and help them to get there. Rebecca, there are a couple others. Yeah, um, we uh, respect and inspire each other every day. I love that you both sat down and articulated that together. I rarely hear of companies really taking time to put in words what their leadership guidepost is. And I'm sure your employees greatly appreciate that. Uh, if you could give advice to women looking to get into healthcare innovation law, what would that advice be? Have confidence in yourself, right? Um, I think that women in particular are less apt to have confidence that they can jump in and do something new and different all on their own. Um, and that's a really important thing to, to know and to understand, you know, um, we, you know, we are all smart individuals, we are all capable individuals, we are just as well suited to do any of these things as as anyone else. Um, I think that, you know, 
uh, men tend to be a little more um, brash um, and um, confident in, in taking on new things and, and saying, yep, I can do it. I can do it. Um, women tend to be a little more, more hesitant. And, um, you know, I, I think having confidence to be able to jump into something new is, is, um, and knowing that you can succeed is, is really important. I would just echo that. I think one of the things that, uh, Carrie and I have said to each other over time since the beginning of all this is why not us? Why not us? And every time we thought, well, somebody asked a question we didn't know the answer to, or we got nervous that the, the, the gamble that we had um, made wouldn't wouldn't work out, and we just thought, why not? Why not us? Why wouldn't we be successful? And um, I think it, there's a little bit of manifest in that. There's a little bit of, I see it. I can't think of a reason why I couldn't do it, so I'm going to do it. Um, I do think that uh, talking to this community that you're building here, frankly, Grace, talking to other women who you say something to your you know, you'll say something you're nervous about. Well, I think I can do this. or I want to do this thing. And having the person across the table from you saying like, why not you? is pretty meaningful. And I have in my own life, I have got um, shout out to the boss moms. We have a text chain um, with a bunch of women entrepreneurs that are um, uh, in my local area. And this is what we do for each other. When we have a challenge, we shout out to the boss moms and we say, is this crazy? Should I do this? And everybody goes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we sort of, we, you know, we need that from each other. Um, uh, so, yeah, so I, I would just say do it. I, it's, it's not very sexy, is it? We should have, I should have planned and come up with a, with a real quote from Mark Twain or someone or, you know. Honestly, why not us? And that's the quote from Rebecca Gwilt today. <laughs> so why not us? And I would love for you folks listening in to have a why not us moment right now and write it in the comments, manifest it. And let's see if our community can help you do it. To finish this conversation off right, where can our listeners find you both online? You can find us on LinkedIn uh, at Nixon Gwilt Law, on Twitter, I believe, at Nixon Gwilt Law. And uh, our website, www.nixonguiltlaw.com. We have a fantastic, if I do say so myself, monthly newsletter uh, that updates you on all the things that we've been seeing, um, new new, new uh, movements and policy and law around innovation, uh, podca uh, podcast episodes that we're doing, webinars that we've done, lots of resources, um, and just once a month to not crowd your inbox. We also, if you sign up for Carrie's newsletter on LinkedIn, and we'll, we'll send it to you so you can put it in the show notes, uh, we do for, for folks that are running uh, multi-state digital health uh, tech-enabled services companies, uh, so um, telehealth companies and RPM companies that have clinical arms. Uh, we do a monthly newsletter with updates from the individual states of laws that are changing that might impact your business. You know, lots of content, and we'd love to help um, as much as we can. Now, before I forget, did you happen to bring tea with you today, ladies? Yes, we indeed. Did. Yes, indeed. All right. So tell me about your mugs. Carrie, you start. Yes. So this is a mug that was a gift to me from Rebecca. Uh, it is a it is a roaring cat uh, that says resist, and the back says persist. Mm. And Rebecca got this for me in the throes of some of the attacks on women and women's rights and. Um, that we saw, um, uh, you know, in the in the prior during the years of the prior administration, frankly, 
Um, and that is, um, that is a passion that both of us um, have, have shared. And so um, it is a very important uh, mug for me. Yeah, shout out to all the innovators in women's health and femtech right now. They are waging war right now and we are 100% behind them. Absolutely. Rebecca, now show us your mug. All right, so mine was a gift from somebody on my team. Can you see what it says? Other bosses and me. <laughs> it's a unicorn on a pole <laughs> dancing. Yes. And I do want to say thank you to my unofficial sponsor, Ticino. I cannot um, stand caffeine. So if you ever see me anywhere and it looks like I'm drinking coffee, it's a facade. <laughs> but I do have my non-caffeinated Ticino um, along with me. I have it every single morning. That is fantastic. Too good. Well, thank you both for joining me today. Thanks so much, Grace. It was really fun. Thanks, Grace. And thanks to you guys, too, for joining as well. Check out the Hit Like a Girl website page and YouTube for more great guests like Rebecca and Carrie today. Cheers. Like a Girl Media is more than a media network. It's a community. We want to meet you and amplify your voice and the voices of outstanding women innovating in healthcare. Interested in starting your own podcast or hosting an event near you? Connect with us online or in person. We're here to support and empower you. 